welcome back to another episode of Working Wife Happy Life. This weekend I had a small gathering with a few folks and at one point the woman next to me said what I thought was, how are you? And she said it with such sincerity and, and interest that it kind of took me aback. And I just looked at her and I said, thank you so much for asking. I feel like people don't really ask me that too often, you know? And and, and it's been a lot lately. I'm going on and on. And as I'm talking to her, she's looking at me very sweetly. And I, I caught on that something wasn't quite right. Uh, so I was like, I'm sorry, what did you ask again? And she said, I asked, how old are you? I was like, right, right, right. So we had a big laugh. Uh, and honestly, it just made me think, like, how often are we looking at those in our lives with, with true sincerity and just asking, how are you? And like meaning it. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you anxious? Are you antsy? Are you content? Like sometimes we just go through our days, we're just checking things off the list, doing our important to-dos, shuffling the kids here and there, squeezing in a workout, and maybe finding time to catch up with a few friends like this case. But what if we had more time to just really check in with how we're doing? Like checking in with ourselves, are we feeling fulfilled? Are we overwhelmed? Are we not challenged enough? How are we? How are we in life, in love? in our careers. And with that musing in mind, I am very excited to have today's guests on the show. Today we have Allie Young and Katie O'Malley with us from The Forum. Allie is the founder and CEO, and Katie is their newly appointed chief revenue officer, and they're both actually former Google colleagues. For those of you that don't know, The Forum is a platform of career advancement programs which teach you how to raise your visibility maximize your opportunities, and open new doors in your career. They believe in giving you the tools that you need to navigate and accelerate professionally. I've actually participated in several of their programs, and I have to say their approach is unique, it's personable, it's actionable, and most importantly, and it's not at all one of these like overwhelming career development programs in terms of commitment or mind space. Throughout this discussion, we talk about Allie's impetus for starting the forum. She describes some of their top programs, including the five skills to advance a career. We dissect the cost of quote unquote, having it all. Spoiler alert, there's always a cost, but there is power in choosing this and being okay with what that cost is. Together, we explore unpacking fear and reframing what success means for each of us. This conversation will be surely a bright spot in your day And the forum will make you nerd out on wanting to invest in yourself and refine some critical skill sets, I promise. Enjoy my conversation with Allie and Katie from the forum. Katie, I am so excited to have the dream team here from the forum on Working Wife, Happy Life. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. We're excited. 
I'm so excited. First of all, this is, uh, we are recording on Monday morning. And even though it's 11 a.m. for those on the East Coast, uh, for Katie on the West Coast, it is 8 a.m. And I'm so honored because Monday morning meetings are very difficult (laughs) to get rallied for. So I feel like, I feel this is a true honor. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So you, Allie, you are the founder of the forum. Um, and this is such an incredible uh, brand and community that you've built in a very short time that has, when I say a fan following, like fan following. And I would love if you could share with our listeners the foundation of the forum, why you started it and what your mission is. Thank you so much. Um it may we may have been growing over a short period of time. It feels like a lifetime to me. Fair. I can tell you, starting a new business is hard work, and I honestly think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but I love being the founder of the forum, and I created the forum uh, in a concept three years ago. Actually, um, I typed me too into Facebook, and the very next day, decided to leave my corporate career. And to help move women and underrepresented mm-hmm. talent up into leadership roles. And it really wasn't, even though the impetus was me too, really what that did is it got me off the sidelines. And what I realized is there are major issues within corporate America in all and in a variety of ways, one of which is sexual harassment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But there are so many others as well. And if we don't start getting diverse people leading companies equally, we're just going to be on this hamster wheel forever. So essentially mm-hmm. that got me off the sidelines and it took me a bit of time to figure out what is this company going to be? How is it going to function and work? All I knew is that I was one of the people who was really well suited to help move people um, into leadership roles, but I didn't know how it would function. But there were a few things about me that I knew helped along this journey. So one, I always have a big vision the bigger the problem, the more excited I get about it. I'm a glutton for punishment (laughs) and I know how to scale ideas. So, and I had a ton of passion. So with that, I said, I'm going to start working on this thing. And the first thing I did was really start understanding how do people move up into leadership? Mm -hmm. And if it was just about the work, then we would already have diverse leaders. It wouldn't be an issue. So I started diagnosing my own career. I started talking to lots of other executives. And what I came to understand is that there's five skills we all need to advance our career. I'm sure we'll talk about them in a little bit. But once I figured out these five skills, I started teaching them in smaller formats, um, like facilitating in-person groups, leadership summits, team meetings, stuff like that. And I, in 2019, I raised pre-seed funding and I decided to start scaling it out. So what I realized is this now has legs. Like I figured it out. I pressure tested it within these smaller groups. I've been to really fancy summits where companies are spending maybe $5 million on 25 people getting trained over the course of like three quarters. And I said, you know, I could build this out and scale out this idea where if a company spent $5 million with us instead of training 25 people, we could train 200,000 people. So um, this must be scaled if we want to make a difference. And so then we started scaling it out. Um, And now it's sort of in the form that you see today and experience today, which is in these large scale live trainings that are all remote. We teach people in cohorts and we teach these five skills um, really at scale. And you you do 
I mean, there's a lot of different angles of your programming and it's not just for women. I feel like you have an emphasis to elevate all voices uh, within the workplace and to kind of get people to invest in themselves outside of their day job. Um, And I think that's something where, to me, it's like that diversification of intent, right? So where we spend so much time on that hamster wheel of what's within our tunnel vision, what's within our view of what our career should be, where you're kind of coming at it from the side angle. And it's almost like you're pulling somebody aside for a minute, like, hold on, come come over here and talk to me for a little bit. And, and you can keep your eye over there, but like, I've got some tips for you. That's how it feels. Yeah, I try to make it like that. So we talk about how our business is scalable, but it's also very bespoke and intimate. Yeah. Um, We want every single person that goes through our program to really feel like we are doing exactly like what you just described, Bethany, which is we're really talking to them and we're working with them Mm one-to-one, even though we also um, have this big group. But the big group is so important and having a diverse group is really important within our boot camps and within our level up program because it mirrors the world. Yeah. So we don't want to just train one group because then you're going to go out into the real world and who are you going to connect with? We need to make sure that everyone in our program is connecting with as many people as possible Mm -hmm. and building relationships across organizations, across different types of people, across different levels, because that's actually how you advance a career. So if we want to fulfill our mission, which I didn't say earlier, which is to move 1 million women and underrepresented people up into leadership by 2030. So we have nine years, a big hefty goal. If we want to do that, we can't just train people in a small group. It has to be, um, it has to be a a large collective. Yeah. And and that's where intimacy. Yeah. And that's where I think what's so interesting is when you do these things that feel very personalized, but are at scale, you're actually influencing the whole language across multiple business units, across multiple industries, across multiple companies. So you start to see that then cascade, particularly as these people get into leadership, these become the tenets of what their leadership style is. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, most Um, people don't know how to navigate their career. They don't know how to navigate their company. So they, and we're all learning through trial and error, like mm -hmm. every single one of us. And that was one of my big insights is or this is way harder than it needs to be. People could be really good at their job, but they still feel find the career piece really hard. And it doesn't matter right. who you are. It's like a universal truth that we're all learning through trial and error. So how do we reduce this trial and error and create a playbook for a career advancement? And then the other thing is once people feel like start running the play, then they start feeling more confident. Then they're able to have a bigger impact. They're able to connect across an organization. And we also teach people that as you're rising, you have to lift others. And so then everything that we teach, people are, they're teaching it to others. They're teaching it to their teams. They're sharing it with their colleagues or mentees or mentors so that they could then carry the same message forward. Yeah. And I love that differentiation between your job and your career, right? It's just that that vision of like, what do I have to get done today versus where am I heading? Why does this all make sense? All the things I've done in the past, where is this leading me? Um, and having that that intentionality behind it. And I love, Bethany, how you just described the experience kind of being pulled over to the sidelines and someone, you know, whispering you a few tips and tricks because Allie and I talked about this. 
we often say it's the intangibles that, you know, it's not just about the job. The functional role are the tangible outputs that you work on. The intangibles are so important. And what I love about the forum is that they made it tangible. Like we package mm -hmm. it up and say, this is exactly what you need to work on because it's not just uh, it's not just about the work. You need to yeah. think about your connections and relationships within an organization, you know, getting visibility to your work, et cetera. And so it's really how do we make the intangibles tangible so that not everyone has to learn by trial and error? Yeah. And that's, I mean, when you talk about women and other, you know, marginalized communities, that's what we've been taught. Just put your head down and do a good job and someone will notice. And like, that's not the game. That is not how this game is played. And I just think it's, it's, it's a message of survival that has become a disservice, in my opinion. Um, what are what are these like five quick tips? Let's tease tease our listeners here. Okay, so there are five skills we all need to advance our career. The first is relationships, and it's probably the most important. You know, decisions are made by human beings, and so we have to build relationships with those around us. 85% of all of our opportunities come from people we know. So if we're a heads down worker and we are the best at our job, but we are not well networked or we don't have lots of new people that we're connecting with and talking to, then some guy who's pretty good at his job, but better networked, that guy's going to get further than you, mm -hmm. like each and every time. Um, and actually, I always say too, you'll probably find out about some awesome new role that someone else just filled after the email has gone out announcing that you know, that role or that great project that you would have wanted to work on and felt was perfect for you if only you knew. Right. So if you're already, just like earmarked. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're that heads down worker, again, knocking it out of the park each and every day, but nobody knows about it and you're not connecting throughout an organization, opportunities are going to go to other people. Mm -hmm. um, the other skill we teach is self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. So the way we teach this is a lot of people think about self-advocacy as self-advocating for something. What's that big ask, that promotion, pay equity. But the truth is, if your work is not visible on an ongoing basis, when you have that big ask, you're probably not going to get it mm -hmm. because people don't know your work. They don't know your value and they don't know your impact. So it's up to us on a regular basis to just share what are those things that we're working on and what is our impact? And we could do that over time in a really methodical way. So the way we teach people to do that is to just jot down the work you're most proud of and then mm -hmm. share it on an ongoing basis, say monthly or quarterly with your manager. Um, the third skill is personal brand. And we define this as really identifying what are you good at? What do you want to do more of? What are your strengths? What are your passions? Observe throughout the day when you get a project and you're so excited about it that you like rush back to your desk and start working on it. And then time goes by. You don't even realize how much time has gone by. Mm -hmm. That's the type of work you want to identify. And when you do, just share it. Tell people what is the work that excites you. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you get more work that's based on the things you're good at and you're excited about. And then you do better work. And then your managers are happier, happier with you because you're probably doing more work and we're more productive. And honestly, I actually think every CEO, this is the exercise they should be asking of every single person in their company. Mm -hmm. What's the work, the intersection between strength and passion? And if you just share that like broadly, 
then we will give you more work that's based on those things. And you'll knock it out of the park each and every time. You're happier at work and you have a highly, highly productive organization. So before you move on to number four, a question there, is it equally, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Oh yeah, there's my levels. Okay. Um, is it equally as valuable to share the work that does not give you energy? Right? Like, and I, I don't mean this in like, I don't want to do that. It's my job. I mean it in a way where, you know, there there are aspects of skill set where at a certain point in your career, not that you're done learning, but you've learned that like, I am either just not great at that or I derive no joy from that, right? So these are the things that the more projects I get like that, A, the more burnt out I get, B, the worse my production is, you know, those types of things. Is that equally as valuable? I don't think it's equally as valuable. I I would just... Um for the sake of nuance, I would say really focus on those strengths and try to direct people around you. But you can say and should say and create awareness around the stuff that you're not as good at. But the stuff that you're not good at, but you need to know, um, that still ha- you still have to get some of those skill sets up to like mm-hmm. a functioning level. Right. Right, right. While at the same time, you're trying to tip the scales in your favor. And I just think managers and the people around us are more receptive to strengths mm-hmm. and passion rather than what we're not good at. So yep. focus on the good stuff, but you can say this stuff I'm not as good at, but I will work yeah. on it or I will yeah. do X, Y, and Z, but let's try to work, you know, again, focus on the the, the stuff you'll- I'm doing the opposite of self-advocacy. I'm doing self-sabotage. <laughs> let, let me tell you what I suck at. Um, all right. But it also I'm- depends what level you're at, right? So- yeah. If you're if you're running a team, then you should be assessing what are you not great at, and then building a team around you for the things right. you're not great at, and supplementing right, right, right. those skills. It's just we're typically not teaching executives; we're typically teaching people who may not have all of that power to construct a team around them the way that they yeah. would really want to. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, and I think about it as the two skills Allie just broke down: self advocacy. Yes, you should definitely be sharing. Um, everything about the output that you've provided, even if there's parts of it you don't love. It's still work you've done and you should be sharing that on an always-on basis. The personal branding piece is where do you really amplify what you love? That's what you want communicated Got to it. your manager, right? Okay. And your I'm, ta- I'm taking this as a personal coaching session, by the way. Yes, Come on. do that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because the stuff that we love, like we'll just work on it endlessly. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the stuff we work on at night and on the weekends and we get excited about and we share with people and then we start self-advocating about it just because we're excited about it. So I really believe your personal brand, when we think about it in terms of this strengths and passions is the engine for your career and for Mm -hmm. your, the, the entire path and trajectory of your career. Yep. And I know there's two more skills Allie's going to speak to, but I do want to comment, Bethany, I appreciated how earlier you said you know, while our mission is to move women and underrepresented minorities up, the actual programming is skill-based, right? So at the end of the day, anyone is welcome. It is Mm skill-based programming. Now, broadly speaking, though, there's a lot of data to support that women tend to underutilize these skills. And it's why we're trying to get this in their hands. Men self-advocate 33% more on average. Mm -hmm. Men tend to be like 28% better networked and are more central to their networks, which leads to more opportunities. So ultimately, it is skill-based, right? We're Mm -hmm. not isolating the experience as a woman, um, but women tend to underutilize these skills, and that is why we really want to get this in their hands. Yep. Yeah. 
Makes sense. And actually the next skill is financial fluency. So, um, and that's a very large gating factor for women moving up into leadership skills. Mm -hmm. So again, you could be the best at your job, but if you want to become a department head, you have to be able to express the economics of your business. And if you can't do that, you will be viewed potentially as the best of your job, best at your job, but not yet material to become a department head, Mm. not yet ready. And that is a huge gating factor for women. And one of the reasons this becomes a real challenge for women in particular is that when women throughout our career are given advice and feedback from our managers, it's almost always focused on our personality. How are we communicating? How are we, you know, we're too aggressive, we're too meek, we're too loud, we're talking too much, we're not talking enough, whatever. All of these things that really don't matter at the end of the day, but that's the advice we're given endlessly. Only 2% of feedback to men that's given to them by their managers, and these are people who want to invest equally, like all of their employees, is based on their communication style and their personalities. And so therefore, what do the managers focus on with the men on their team? The business. And so men are able to pick this stuff up more readily than women because they have been taught it over and over and over again over a 10, 15, 20-year time period of their career where women are not. And so also also as a leader, so this, this feedback piece is huge because I just posted something that like my love language is direct feedback, because I feel like this is an area where I have, I kid you not begged, begged for direct feedback, begged for, you know, is there a message I'm not getting that I should? Um, And something more concrete than like, think more strategically, like that is not helpful. Like I need, you know, not that I need to get like a checkbox that I check off, but I need very specific feedback. And I feel like it comes in a much, much more mushy package to women. But then the other side of it is as a manager, when I'm giving that feedback on an annual review cycle or in a more informal setting, I now have a vested interest in getting you there, right? Because I've mm-hmm. shared this is an area for you to develop, which inherently means it's my job to help you develop that. So when you think about kind of, the compounding factor of that tendency to give women more, you know, personality-based feedback, that there's also the ability for the leader to remove themselves from owning that because that has so much to do with you versus us. Like there's a lot in that piece for sure. Right. There's less accountability on the manager then. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's one way, that's one word for my, my big long. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of times in this data too, These managers that are giving women feedback on our personalities and how we communicate, these are managers with great intent. Right. They're the ones who want to give feedback. They're giving feedback. They're just not giving feedback that help us very much. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, they're giving that, you know, again, when they sit down with with the men on their team, they're really teaching them how to run the business. And so that's a gap for us. But annoying as this little stat may be, it's, we could deal with it. Um, we need to move through it. it yeah. By really, so the advice that I give people is to listen to their earnings statements if they work at a public company. Each and every quarter, tune in. You really have to, if you want to understand your business, you have to hear what your CEO and CFO how they're expressing, you know, how the business is done and where the business is going. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and really also reading what the analysts have to say about your organization. Do the same for your client's business. Really get curious. Meet with someone who works in finance at your company. And P.S. I always say when you do that, you also get networking points because you know you're networking and expanding right. your relationships. So there's ways to overcome this, but it takes an investment in time. Like we also have our financial fluency class. Um, so there are ways that you can build this skill set over time. You don't need to be a CFO. You just have to. It goes back to what you're not good at and what you are good at, what we were just talking about. This has to be brought up to a certain functional level, does not need to be perfect. Right. And and, I, then, and just for, for anyone who's listening there and thinking, you know, I might be at an executive level and this isn't something I need to participate in. I personally am going through the financial fluency program right now. Um, and the first session, I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. And I know that that's going to be a foundationally built thing, but it's one of those things where... You can certainly make it far in your career without feeling that confidence in something or with feeling like you've gotten it in bits and pieces in various parts. So why wouldn't you invest this time now? And then maybe a couple of years from now, you do another course and you just kind of continue that type of investment in yourself. So, you know, I think it's certainly not just a program to get people, you know, to where they need to be in leadership programs. I think it's certainly a program for those that are in leadership positions to continue to invest and continue to feel that confidence and, and understand it. Um, also, because the market is changing, even though financial fluency is terminology based in a sense, there's companies coming out of left, right and sideways that are bucking every trend. I mean, just look at what's happening with the market. Look at GameStop. Look at what's happening with Roblox going public. Look at Tesla, like all of these foundations of what we thought finances meant and balance sheets look like is actually being challenged now. So the more you have that's more relevant and more um, recent, I think the more valuable you become. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I mean, look at us, we all work in tech. Yeah, sure a lot of people that listen to your program, they work in tech as well. And so there's so much here for us to understand. And also at the different stage of one's company. So if you're at a public company, that's one thing, but also the VC world, they have an entirely different language. So for me mm -hmm. as a founder, I've had, to, you know, I've read books, I have consultants, I work with specialists who help me increase my, uh, my vocabulary and understanding of the VC world as well, because that's totally different side of the coin, but it's one in which we all need to understand. And I think it's actually a huge opportunity for people that work within big companies mm -hmm. for them to understand the startup world and the economics of a startup world and what's expected there. It's Definitely. fascinating, by the way. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what's number five? Five is leadership, but it's really communicating as a leader. So uh, for this one, a little tip that I have is depending on how senior you are. So the more senior you are, you should be up on a stage presenting. Every senior leader should have a keynote in their back pocket. It does not need to be a long keynote, but it should be something that you're passionate about and excited about. And if you are early in your career, let's say you're a few years out, how about teaching somebody something that you're passionate about on another team? So mm -hmm. it's really standing up on a stage, but the size and scope of that stage could really vary based on where you are. And it's one of the fastest ways to be viewed as a leader mm -hmm. and as a specialist in something um, or somebody that has, you know, that's an executive in some way, shape or form um, based on that, you know, that, that piece of um, that piece that you're presenting or whatever that thing is that you're passionate about and you want to teach others. Yeah. That's, I, I actually took a course 
Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was two years ago now. Um, but it was a weekend long um boot camp for public speaking. And it was exactly that. You spent the weekend developing your content, honing your delivery to get up there at the end of the weekend and deliver a 10-minute keynote. And uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. In fact, halfway through it, I was like, this is such a waste of time and money. I don't even know why I'm here. I need to – like I had a full-on like I'm out of here meltdown. Um, And I am not – I'm fine public speaking. You know, It was really one of those things that I did on a whim, and I cannot – express how much that changed my uh, entire perspective and my kind of skill set there. It just was such an amazing, and that shout out to the Shine Bootcamp, which is run out of Canada. um, And they do a ton of amazing programs. But uh, I think that's such a critical, critical skill. It's such a big one. And it's one that we don't realize that we need to work on. So again, it's about investing in ourselves. So I too, I have worked with coaches to help me come up with what is my keynote. I had an idea. Well, it was about the five skills, but how do I express this in a way that's simple and easy? And it has taken me years to create it in a way that is digestible for people um, and not boring where they want to fall asleep after, you know, skill number three, (laughs) I hope. Um, But the point is we do have to invest in ourselves and we do have to take this time. We, when we see someone up on a stage, we just presume they're a naturally a great speaker. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes that's not the case. And for me, I really had a lot of stage fright throughout my career. The more senior I got, the more uh, nervous I got to get up on a stage. And now I still get nervous, actually, um, but I know how to control it. And it is because of the amount of practice and work yeah. that has gone into it. Well, and they say you get nervous before things like that because you give a shit, right? It's like you're nervous because you care, right? And I I I think that's a very, so how do you harness that into, you know, instead of like, who am I to talk about this stuff to be like, no, this is really important to me. And that's why I'm so excited right now. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that you see. There's so many incredible speakers that make it seem so natural that you assume it is. And it's like the hours of prep and practice that have gone into that is astounding. And then you can tell there's a lot of people that are not great at it that are quite frequently given the mic. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, they're just kind of progressing down this different path of, you know, well, I've, I've gotten the mic no matter what. Right. And that's not the truth for many of us. So I think it's a great place to, to, uh, invest in yourself. Um, listen, want to like switch gears a little bit because there's so much here and the forum is such an amazing platform, but I want to, I want to talk a bit more about each of you and, and your career journeys. Um, and Ali, you talked a little bit about kind of your impetus for wanting to get out of the corporate world and find a way to influence it from the outside toward positive, um, you know, reform, if you will. Um, what was kind of some of the biggest gear shifting for you from, you know, employee to entrepreneur, like what were things that you had to do to prepare yourself for that type of a jump? I really felt compelled to start this business. Truly. Mm -hmm. If I was really thoughtful about it over the years, I don't know if I could have done it. Truthfully, I always loved entrepreneurs and founders. I'm such a founder fan girl. I just think they're so cool. These amazing founders that are doing these, these things and disrupting industries and running these companies. It's just, it's fascinating to me. I love today, like meeting other founders. I get so excited about it. 
Um, but I really, I had to follow my heart completely, like to make this leap. So I don't advise people to start companies this way because I just did it in a way that I think was so much harder. Like maybe I could have done a side hustle and then like methodically, you know, had mm -hmm. my income at a big company and then like plotted my way down this path. But for me, I just, I just saw a challenge that was so big and so broad. And so it was so shocking to me how large the challenge is within companies. It became crystallized for me immediately that again, I just felt this compulsion to create this company. Now, how have I over the years become more of a founder? I mean, it really has been an, an, an evolution because at first it was a lot of research and I was a solopreneur. It was just me pressure testing mm -hmm. these ideas. And then slowly and surely, um, as I started seeing the results, um, I figured out, well, I really need to scale this, which was always what I wanted to do. So essentially, um, a guiding principle for me has been, what are the responses from the people that are using the forum, or were sitting in my class, or who I'm talking to, or who I'm coaching as an executive coach? And once I start seeing those responses, and also what they need more of, that's what I'm going to follow. So mm -hmm. I don't even follow really what I want. I would like to build a little right. platform that's a SaaS platform. And it's just like it runs while I'm sleeping. But the people that are part of our program, they love our live programming. They love when we show up and work with them in and connect them to one another. You know, to your point, like even though it's big, it feels very one to one. They love that. And so that's what we're following. So I feel like if I follow that, that's mm -hmm. what leads me down the path to being a successful founder. It's following our customers. Yeah. And I, I mean, when we had you in to speak to the community at Google, which you've been a huge part of in many different ways, but when we um, had you in in the beginning of this year, that was the most highly attended event we've had in our history, um, which That's is amazing. amazing. And it's such a testament to to your brand and what you've built by following the user, right? And and it's not necessarily, it's certainly about what you can deliver, but it's also about what's needed and really knowing your community. And Katie, you've had like several career shifts and I would love to hear, and, and I think our listeners would love to hear, you know, how you embrace these changes in your life, your personal life, um, and, and kind of how your career has evolved and taken, you know, different paths that it's not as, as linear as some of us expect careers to be. You're right. It's not as linear as the ways that we traditionally think about career pathing. But what I'm learning is to embrace that that's okay. And mm -hmm. that our definition of success and what it looks like can change and evolve based on where we're at in life. Mm -hmm. So to give you more context in that process of my own journey of reframing uh, career trajectories, I've spent the bulk of my career in ad tech which is actually the part um, it brought the three of us together. So yes, yeah. So you know, Allie and I met ten years ago working at Google. We'd often talk about the intangibles and in career advancement, and she left to create the forum. And Bethany, I have to mention how grateful I am for the breadwinning community that you have built uh, at Google during thank my you. nine years there. It was a really important part of my experience. Um, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Like many women and men, frankly, who are ambitious about their careers and want to start a family, after having my first child, I really became fascinated by the operations behind every family. Mm -hmm. You know, who works, who makes more money, 
who books the doctor appointments, who cooks, who cleans. I felt like no one really talked about these operations, yet everyone is dealing with it, you know, after you start to have children. So this notion that we can do it all if we simply have flexible work hours or a supportive <laughs> partner. Yeah, it really frustrated me, frankly. Yeah, not Spoil possible. Right, spoiler alert, not possible. Um, something comes at a cost there, right? So I, I am not suggesting that we have to abandon our professional dreams. I simply want this narrative to acknowledge that as with any decisions in life, something will come at a cost. And I've I've realized that it's actually liberating to be more purposeful with that cost and mm -hmm. those decisions versus selling myself this narrative that I can do it all, climb the corporate ladder and be the class mom and volunteer at school and cook the meals, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a few examples of some of the operating models that my husband and I have been uh, experimenting with over the last few years. The first is that um, when we got pregnant with our third, both working full time, we decided something's got to give. Like we were yeah. mediocre at best at everything. So we knew we had to make a change. We came to the table, we looked at all variables, we looked at both of our careers, and we decided that he would actually put his career on hold to be a stay-at-home dad for a few years. So I will Woo say, I know, I know, <laughs> I will say for, for anyone who has only had a stay-at-home spouse, I mean, they don't even know how good they have it. Mm -hmm. To go from both working full-time and then having a stay-at-home partner, total dream. Game, Game changer. changer. Yep. Yes. Gone are the negotiations of whose meeting is more important. There's clear ownership and clear swim, swim lanes, and it was awesome. Honestly, mm -hmm. it really worked very well for us. Um, fast forward a few years, I went through a big life event of losing a parent. And, you know, with any big life event, even like the pandemic, frankly, for many people, it really causes you to reflect on what you're doing uh, with your life. And I knew that when I looked back on my career, I wanted to know that I took some time home with my kids when they were young. I wanted one year and one year only, to be very clear. <laughs> not let's a not, day longer. Let's not get crazy here. I wanted one year uh, home with them. And so I, I literally treated it like a, a business plan. It was called Project O'Malley. I put together a plan, uh, all the variables, what it would cost for me to take one year in the unpaid labor space yep. for my husband to get back into paid labor. Uh, and you know, it probably, I don't know, maybe a year sales cycle with all stakeholders to get everyone on board. But it was pretty comical when we told the kids that we would be switching roles, that I would be staying home. You know, they had a lot of questions like, do you know how to drive? Will he still live with us? Yes, he'll still live like with when, us. Like when my kids said, I cook coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I cook wine. So there you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, we eventually made uh, the change. I mean, joke is on me that when I put out into the universe that I wanted more time with my kids, you know, then 2020 happened and I crushed that goal. Mm -hmm. Clearly got more time with my children as we all did, I'm sure. But ultimately this, this time in the unpaid labor space, one, it absolutely validated how much I do love to work and this professional dimension of myself that I really value. Mm -hmm. But it has been awesome to get this time with them and, and to know that when I look back at what I anticipate to be a very long and successful career, that I'll know that I scratched that itch. I took that time and it was something that had somewhat haunted me and that both my husband and I essentially took turns in these younger years. And now, I mean, 
first of all, there's so much in there to unpack. And I think it's, um, I, I love that you had that kind of come to Jesus with your, your partner to say, you know, all cards on the table, like this is not working. Cause I feel like sometimes that track just starts to get away from us and go on its own. And you are in this cycle of just like dealing day to day versus thinking like, how can we, you know, recalibrate what we need and what we want. Um, but, but the, also the notion of flipping, right. And saying like, you know, this is working for you now, this isn't working for me. How do we get back over here? Was that something where it felt like something was missing? Was it like a self-awareness or were there like, were we starting to see cracks in the foundation that we had to address? Like how did that kind of swap back happen? Yeah. You mean the process of the two of us swapping roles? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I will say after our first child, when, I mean, every family goes through that process of how are we going to do this? <laughs> right. Who, who's going to watch what just this happened person? in my life? Yes. Someone just moved in. Who's going to watch them, right? And and I, I have to say, I became so fascinated by the operations of a family. And I felt like no one talked to me about this before. Very similar to what Ali's talking about with career advancement. And what are these intangibles? And why don't people talk about them? I felt this way about parenthood. Of mm -hmm. Now I'm so intrigued that I would awkwardly ask you, like right after I met you, do you work? Or does your, does your partner, who makes more money? How do you guys do yeah. this? And I just felt like no one really talks about this. We show back up at work and, and we're expected to do our jobs. And there's a lot of operations that goes on behind the scenes with every family. So after our first, we had that discussion. I will say my husband, um, I think organically, we have a little bit more non-traditional swim lanes. You know, every partnership has their own swim lanes. Who deals yep. with what? You know, um, prior to this, I couldn't tell you, I never grocery shopped. I never cooked. I couldn't tell you what size shoe my kids wear still. And I'm, was, I'm a stay-at-home person now. Um, <laughs> so we organically already had a little bit of these swim lanes, but he was interested in staying home, but he had his own kind of, you know, I think ego things to work through of that's sure. not what he defined as masculinity. That's not what he mm -hmm. defined as providing for said family. Right. And I, we felt like, well, if we're going to do something unconventional, and we're not okay with it, then like the rest of the world will crack us. So we need to be okay with it. And so we realized that it wasn't time to try something so unconventional. By child number three, he that ship had sailed. He was like, right. this is absolutely a way to support our family. Survival, yeah. Oh yeah, are you kidding? You're like, so um, So I think that I, your point around self-awareness, I actually think that that's a really important piece of knowing your marriage your mm -hmm. partnership. And if, if you aren't, if you both aren't like going to lock arms on this, you know, I worried it was a recipe for resentment, frankly. Yeah. Right. Because there were new roles that we had to like, he was not one Embrace. that came in the house and it was like, okay, well, this is like part of that job now. Right. Or, yeah. um, there were a lot of nuances we had to work through the swap was, um, probably about two years of me, uh, pitching the concept and then finally putting a proposal together to say, this is what it would cost our family to do that. 
And I love how uh, you just optimize and operationalize fucking everything. Me too. <laughs> this I is going to be undeniable. I've got the business case written up. It's amazing. Literally, literally, because it's. But like- I think I mean, all joking aside, as a career woman, to do that in such an emotional negotiation is very hard, right? Like we're very different people in our intimate relationships than we are in our professional relationships. At least I am. You know, it's just a very different dynamic. Yes, and I will say though. And I talk to people a lot about this who will say to me, they book time with me, you know, and they're like, how did you do it? I'm like, I, I literally just walked away. Like I did it. There, it's, it's the fear. It's the fear mm-hmm. of doing something unconventional. It's people telling you you're sidelining your career. It's people who told my husband he was sidelining his career mm-hmm. um, and really created a lot of fear to him because it yep. was like non-traditional. How would he get back into the workforce, right? He would interview and then he'd get a job. Um, and I'm not diminishing how hard it is, right? No, so I, and I think the timing too, it depends on how long, right? Like a lot completely. of women struggle with how long they've been out of the workforce. Completely, completely. But I think what I what I want people to take from that is be willing to unpack the fears, right? Mm-hmm. So I heard the fears, right? As, oh, healthcare. Okay, well, hold on. What does that mean? And 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 healthcare and benefits, these come along with other organizations. So if you, right? Um, unpack the fear of, you know, sidelining your career. Okay. Well then, then I was making a decision based on just straight time travel fear, mm-hmm. right. Versus like, I can actually in, continue to invest in myself and my network and build connections to ensure that I have a runway for when it's time to get back into the workforce. So I, I want people to, at least, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to pull the trigger on whatever that is they're thinking about, but at least be willing to unpack the fears. Yeah. I think that's such a great recommendation. And I think it's, look, these conversations are so critical because, I mean, honestly, when you talk about investing in yourself, you talk about investing in your career, you talk about growing your career, uh, you talk about the surprises of what family life becomes over time. Like those two things didn't always intersect. They were all, they traditionally were very clear swim lanes, as you said. And now it's like, somebody pulled the little line markers out of the pool and it's just, we're, we're all trying to figure out which way is up. And I think, you know, the more that you have these conversations with your partner, the more you, you know, even the financial fluency, right. On, on Fridays, that's like, no, no, this isn't for work. This is for me. I'm doing this. And, and I need the support of my partner and my family and my job to be able to find that time. Um, these parts of our lives do, intersect and they mm-hmm. do have such a meaningful um a you know just such a meaningful like symbiotic relationship in order to get to that concept and I know we hate this concept but that concept of having it all and you can have it all because you've decided what you won't have yes and yes. you're okay with that like that that piece of this you know made up fucking puzzle of what happened yes. is supposed to look like is not going to fit nicely in there and that's okay Um, And I just think there's so much power that you guys are giving so much power to these concepts um, of, of kind of how to be that are very challenging and very overwhelming to so many. Yeah. And I will say, obviously the pandemic has been awful for everyone, but one unintended byproduct that I appreciate is that it has normalized home life. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? Before, even working from home was awkward. To see someone's couch in the back room was awkward. To see that they have offspring, like you have children. What? You have a life, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, I really appreciate that it's normalized and, you know, ideally for for men, just as much for women, um, that we have a, a home life that doesn't always translate to children, but whatever it is that's important to you, Right. And so I, I really, really value that that has become more acceptable to talk about, to deal with um, uh, within the workplace. And I don't I don't feel like it yeah. was prior to that. I agree. One one final question before we wrap up here, and it has to do with this pandemic. Right. Like, what are your thoughts in terms of for so long, we've just been trying, you know, quite literally to just survive, right? So like this this surviving in our career versus thriving and growing. What is your advice to to folks listening as we think about, you know, hopefully some hope on the horizon, some normalcy coming back in terms of kind of getting out of that surviving mode and into that growth mentality? I love growth mentality. It's the best to be, you know, um to have your North Star, I, I talk about North Stars a lot, um, to have your North Star be the thing that you're excited about and passionate about, the thing that you're good at. Um, and I think we need to follow that. So to really, again, it's just observing what are the things you want to do and knowing that if you follow them bit by bit and really using the, you know, your passion as your North Star, we could all be a hell of a lot happier at work. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so many different ways in which we can accomplish our goals, um, but we often won't pursue them because of fear for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons. And I just don't think we should be led by fear because it's almost always unfounded. There's almost always a different path that we could pursue. We just have to create the O'Malley COO doc. The family oh, yeah. get it done. You know, yeah, there, like there's, there's just many more opportunities for us that we don't see. Like what, what we see and observe is such a small portion of what's available to us. Um, so we have to widen our horizons, and I think actually that's where the relationships come into. Where if you're networking and connecting with other people and figuring out well what is their path and how are they doing things and just getting really curious, it can expand our horizon of what's possible. Mm-hmm. So that when we do have and identify that North Star, we could actually start pursuing it. Yeah. And I would also say, um, you know, this year has been so hard. I think there's a level of, I have even tried to practice reframing what success looks like to mm-hmm. me right now, right? With take into account all the variables, all the curveballs that we've been thrown, 2020, was nothing like any of us anticipated. So I would really like people to be willing to reframe success and that survival and a healthy, happy family or yourself, like that's a win. That's mm-hmm. a huge win. And, um, you know, any investment you've made in yourself, you going through financial fluency, Bethany, that's a perfect example where you said, you know what, I am going to make the time. It's a lot. I'm drinking from the fire hose, but I'm investing in myself. That's a win. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, we we talk with folks all the time about their performance reviews. And I met with one woman who said, I just, you know, I'm not feeling it this year. My my actual output is nowhere near what it used to be. And it's like, well, you know, she had two kids at home. She was homeschooling one. So we talked about 
how does she reframe that success? And really what it came down to was she was so proud of her resilience Mm -hmm. and her grit to power through that. And she packaged that up in her performance review. So, you know, I, I would really just like to urge people to be open-minded about what success can look like your mean, right? It's not always like hockey stick up and to the right. There's squiggly lines, there's cracks, there's fell off the cliff, got back up. (laughs) And there's so much wisdom and equity in that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, both of those sentiments are so sincere and such awesome visuals. I'm picturing Allie, like the doors we close for ourselves. And what if they had a window on them? What if it's closing in our face and we could just peek past it? Maybe it's a fogged window, but you can see something, you can start to make some structure out of it that you can move toward. And Katie, that idea that it's not this up and to the right all the time. Sometimes it's sideways, sometimes it's a step back. And that doesn't mean we're not still moving forward. We're, it's all part of the story and the journey. Yeah. I mean, I would ultimately see that as growth. Up and to yeah. the right. How do I hear that? Like You didn't take risks. It's like luck. You didn't yeah. push yourself. Well, I'm like, yeah. or you didn't push yourself, right? So yeah. when you fall off the cliff, when the line breaks, when you go backwards, you are brave, you're courageous, you're trying new things, you're growing. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, ladies, so much. Uh, for anyone who wants to engage with the forum, where should they go? They should come to the forum website, which I'm going to spell. It's the forum, so T-H-E-F-O-R-E-M dot co. And the forum is actually named after my daughter, Emerson, 4M, um, because we do have this big goal, and I want to make a better world for all of our kids Um, And I believe we'll do that when we have diverse people leading organizations. Um, So yeah, so come to our website and we have a program that we run called Level Up. It's our core program and we're adding new ones like financial fluency, but Level Up is the core and that's where we get lots of people together in a cohort, primarily people that work in tech, mostly women, but not exclusively. Um, And we teach these skills like self-advocacy and everything that we teach, we help you do. So Mm -hmm. if we're telling you that you should expand your network, as an example, we're going to connect you with different people within the program so that you are very literally expanding your network and those relationships authentically and immediately through this program. So we really hope to see people in Level Up. Amazing. Thank you both so much for making the time this morning. I feel like this conversation could go on for hours, but I will wrap us. uh, And thank you for being a part of the Working Wife Happy Life community. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.